Hi, Stephen. Hello. How are you? Very well, thank you. Very well. That's very good to hear. So where I want to start is in the bio, this album is kind of described as the creation or in a sense you've you've created your own musical landscape your own musical universe within this album and it's it's it's, i suppose a culmination of all the work that you've done before so how did you kind of arrive at this point where you kind of now have the full palette to paint with yeah i mean it's a it's a big claim isn't it um (laughs) uh and i i don't make the claim lightly because i think in a way i've been working towards it for many many, many years and many albums. And, you know, I think it's it's fair to say that most of the time when I make an album, I have some kind of agenda. So, for example, with my last record, The Future Bites, I knew I was going to make an electronic pop record. And then maybe with an album like The Raven That Refused to Sing, I knew I was going to make it like an old school mm. progressive rock record. So I've always tended to have these basic kind of agenda stroke direction uh in mind when i've been making a record certainly when when i've been starting a record and in this case i didn't really i wanted to i wanted to just let the music flow and i wanted to let the music come out in all of its different forms and i wanted to let my musical personality come out in all of its its different music forms without any sense of trying to edit myself Mm. um, in terms of, you know, like, oh, that song can't possibly be on the same record as that song, which is what I've tended to do in the past because I've always said I've always had this clear idea about what kind of album something was going to be. And I really didn't this time. I think if I had an agenda, it was to not have an agenda. Um, So all of these different pieces of music kind of came out and and I think the other thing worth mentioning is that it all came out of being isolated from the rest of mm. the the planet and the human race. And I know that whole idea of a lockdown album has become already a bit of a cliche. So I don't want to say it's a lockdown album, but but the reality is that it was made during a period, at least it was written during a period when I couldn't really interact with other musicians, let alone other people, let alone other human beings, apart from my close family and I think you can hear that there's something about the music or the way it flows the way it unfolds that has a kind of otherworldly ethereal cut off from reality kind of kind of vibe to it and so the fact that it moves through all of these different sounds musical approaches genres is is kind of all part of that in a way I, I think of it as like cinema Cinema for the years is the way I like to think of it. The, the way I equated with, or what I equated with is, and this this is perhaps somewhat of a cliche as well, but it feels like that that child high, uh, childlike na- naivety of of just sitting in a room and making music with no mm-hmm. goal in uh, or, or anything in mind. And and this is something you did with multi track and the vocoder when when you were quite young. Mm-hmm. So did it did it remind you of just the the making music for the sake of it yeah and i still do that you know it's funny just just this morning i was filming a uh, a little clip um my my producer tips for for people interested in my approach to music and i picked three 
basic ideas. And one of the ideas was always approach music like an idiot <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, or to put it in a more flattering way, always approach music with that kind of naive childlike sense mm. that you don't quite know what you're doing. And I say that because I think so much, so much music is, is made by people who think they have to understand what they're doing. And I think the best mm. music is actually made often made by people who don't quite understand what they're doing. I still don't really understand um, a lot of the technology I use. Uh, you know, I haven't got time. Life's too short to read all the manuals and life's too short to understand how all of these different plugins and all of these different synthesizers. Sure. And, and I don't even know the names of the chords I play a lot of the time. And I think I come to appreciate that that is, you know, that kind of naive approach to making music, making music in a very intuitive way mm. is part of is part of my sound and part of my style. And actually what attracts me to a lot of other music, I can't stand, you know, technical, flashy musicianship. It does nothing for me at all. I like people with ideas. And I think as long as you're the one with the ideas, and you are the captain of the ship and you can use great musicians and invite great musicians to collaborate with you. And you kind of approach music from that perspective, then it's always fresh, particularly mm. if, if you, you know, if you, I mean, I, one of the things I did on this album is I got a load of analog synthesizers to work with and I don't really understand how they work, you know, <laughs> but I just kind of mess up, turn switches and knobs and patch things. And I think the trick of being a good producer is knowing when something is good, knowing when something is worth pursuing. And there was a lot of that on this record, a lot of that kind of experimentation going on. That's the question then uh, that you pose. How do you know it's good? And and I suppose that that differs from time to time, from person to person, from, from every instance to another. So so have you found some somewhat of a general rule for you what what makes you continue with an idea? Well, if I mean to to put it most simply and in the most obvious terms, if 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 it excites me, if it inspires mm. me, and and you're you're absolutely right, that's different for every musician, and that's in a sense what creates the personality of the musician. And similarly, if musicians are too concerned with sounding like something else then they never allow that part of their own creative process to enter into it. So I think part of it is being able to um, cut yourself off from what you feel people expect of you, managers, fans, record companies, um, what the industry expects from you mm. and put yourself in this little bubble where all you're concerned about really is enthusing yourself about what you're doing and i think after 30 years of making music that's so important to me i can't yeah. be bothered i can't you know i can't be bothered to just make a record for the sake of it i haven't got time to make a record for the sake of it or to make a record to please other people right. it has to be it has to be exciting for me it has to be something that i want to go into the studio i can't wait to get back to work on that that album or that song or that idea and so, I mean, in a sense, I've always been a bit like that, but I think increasingly now over the years, and the Harmony Codex is really the best manifestation of that that phenomenon. And of course, being isolated from the rest of the world kind of 
helped in a way for me to to feel that way and to think that way. Can you take me through a day because you mentioned those um, analog synths that you started to delve into and and kind of just 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 tinkering around and, and looking for happy accidents as as Bob Ross would call them, but. Mm. Can you take me through a day like that? that what would that look like? Do, 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 are you very structured in, in the sense of working nine to five? Or how, how do ideas come to you and how do you kind of uh, yeah, use them to, to shape the songs that end up on, the, on an album? So on this album, it has mostly been me starting with tinkering around with an analog synthesizer of some kind. And that could be just messing about with the arpeggiator, okay. as in the case of a, of a track like Staircase. Uh, it could be just messing about with sounds, with noise. And to, just to explain to you the, the other part of your question about my process. So I, I have a studio now inside my home and I always had a home studio. But now the difference is four years ago, I got married and I have two stepchildren now, stepdaughters, <laughs> 10 and 12. So my process is slightly different. It's changed slightly because being in the house with your family you're always being pulled out of your creative sort of space. You know, sure. it could be, it could be you got five minutes <laughs> or you got half an hour, you got an hour and then something, and then you're pulled out of that. So actually my day these days is I wake up in the morning, I go to my studio, I turn it on and I go in and out all through the day. Sometimes I might be going in there to, to make a change to a mix, which will take me 10 minutes. I might be going in there to work on a remix project of a classic album. I might be going in there just to mess about with the synthesizer for 15 minutes. And so it's a very fragmented process to me now. And this album was much more like that than the previous ones, which tended to be more focused on, you know, eight, nine hour long sessions. And I wonder again, if that didn't feed in, to the way the record turned out because it was a very it was a very adhd record you know <laughs> i i couldn't i couldn't concentrate on anything for more than a you know a half an hour before i'd be distracted by by something and i wonder if that's also given the record some degree of freshness and eclecticism that it wouldn't have had of just this feeling of just almost darting from one thing to the other but it almost sounds liberating as well where you don't have the time to overthink every decision and every little sound that you want to perhaps adjust. Now you just, okay, I got to go ahead with what I've decided this morning. So let's go. Yeah. Although I still do do that. So, (laughs) you know, because I mean, we're talking about three years working on 10 songs here, essentially. (laughs) I mean, okay. There were other songs that I started and, and, and scrapped and they didn't work out and I kind of abandoned them, you know, halfway through or, even before they got started. But essentially these 10 songs are things that I worked on and I did, you know, refine, develop, um, and, and, you know, and try and perfect them. But you're absolutely right to pick up on this thing that there is a point with music, I think where it stops being music and it becomes a science project or Mm. a a technical exercise. And it's one of the problems actually with, with um, modern recording and the fact that a lot of musicians now are not needing to go into studios where they have to pay by the hour, they can, if they want to, disappear into their own creativity for years on end um, without any, you know, financial considerations. And I think one of the reasons a lot of music does sound quite homogenized now and quite 
bland and and shall we say lacking a little bit in in personality well there's two reasons for that that's one reason the other reason of course is the software now enables mm. us to to make everything perfect and what's what's interesting about a lot of the great music from history is not what was perfect but what was imperfect sure. and, <laughs> and what gave it the character was the quirks the accidents uh the 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 you know the things that were not um exactly right exactly quantized or exactly tuned you know and it's important i think to try and hang on to that um mm. it's one it's one of the reasons i use a lot of processes which actually make things sound worse for want of a better <laughs> word for example one of my favorite plugins is this plugin which makes something sound like it's coming off of a cassette <laughs> And I love it. I love it. So if I record a piano, a beautiful Steinway piano, and I think it sounds too clean and too hi-fi, I put it through this plugin, which enables me to sound like it's being played back on a cassette that's been recorded over 50 times and and adds hiss and adds character and tape warp. And suddenly something that was a little bit bland and ordinary sounds like it's got all this character and all this history to it. Um it's well, funny the way it's funny the way things work out like that. Sorry, go on. Yeah. No, 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 there's just something popped into my head, and I think that's that's kind of true for all of your music because you have incorporated uh, electronic elements, more industrial, more more kind of mechanical sounds, but you've always kept that that warmth in your music, the the heart, so to say. That that's what I call it. Uh, are you conscious of that, or is that deliberate, or, or how do you see that side of it? Because, like you say, you can make something too technical, but for some reason, the way you, uh, you write your songs there's always a, a warmth in it or, or a heart if, if that makes sense it, it, it absolutely makes sense i mean i the simple answer to your question is i don't know it's just in my it's in my mm. dna and and again i you know i always come back to this but i think it's so true is that the music that i listen to that i that i remember hearing the very first of all you know if earliest all in, earliest of all in my life was the music that my parents listened to mm. and it, it was things like dark side of the moon and my mum listened to frank sinatra and my uh, they both listened to things like carpenters and karen carpenter's voice and these wonderfully golden organic sounds the sound of karen carpenter's voice the sound of frank sinatra's voice the sound of dark side of the moon there's something very much to do with the mid-range this kind of warm acoustic guitars, this kind of mid-range to the voice, a soulfulness to the voice. And and I've always loved that. And I've always felt like um, sometimes technique gets in the way of, of communicating that warmth and that emotion. And, you know, the best, the best analogy I can give to that is some of these guitar players that play incredibly fast and incredibly technically – Imagine that in the form of conversation. Mm -hmm. So listen, listen to how I'm speaking to you now and I'm speaking slowly and you can hear all of the, um, the kind of tone of my voice and the expression in my voice and the way I'm communicating to you. And a lot of the way you're understanding me is not just the words I'm choosing, but the way I'm saying them. In fact, you could argue yeah. more, more of it is about the way I'm saying it. And when you start playing with technical precision and speed, it's just about the choice of words. You're no longer getting all of that expression, all of that warmth. 
And I think part of that is just the fact that I never thought of myself as a musician. I never, I never was interested in being a musician. I was interested in, in being um, a producer, an auteur, someone who would be the captain of the ship. And those were my, those were the, the kind of people I was inspired by, you know, not, not the Eddie Van Halen's, <laughs> but the people that were more like the idea, the Brian Eno's, you know, those kind of people were more inspirational to me. But is it is it then, and this goes into uh, the Harmony Codex quite well as well. Is it kind of setting a, a an atmosphere because there, there's and this has always been a, a part of your music, I suppose. But uh, this hypnotic quality where certain motifs are, are repeated, and you just kind of if the way I listen to it was on my headphones, and you kind of dream away when you listen to it. So is that kind of the 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 aim then to create this this immersive. Uh, Yes, I don't know if escapism is the right word, but just this immersive world where you can just just uh, kind of float float into. Is real music dying? What even is real music, and who are we to judge that? Well, my father is a lifelong musician, and together we've been making music for over a decade. In our new podcast, we dare to ask the urgent, the weird, and the deep questions. And we have a lot of wild stories to tell. No matter what genres you enjoy, whether you're a musician, a producer, or a listener, we invite you to discover unconventional perspectives on music. So tune in and go follow Mad Makings of Music wherever you listen to podcasts. I guess so you know i mean a big a big part of of great music is of course um atmosphere and repetition and and the two things as they kind of go together um and you know again one of the other records i remember hearing a lot when i was a kid was the the donna summer georgia moroda mm. records where it was kind of disco music but but experimenting with electronic music and electronic arpeggiators and and repetition is obviously a massive part of so much urban music electronic music um soul music disco music rap music repetition is a big part of that as indeed it is in in pop music generally the repetition of the hook is mm. a fundamental to what makes a great pop song and what 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 makes it catchy and i love those things too i love simplicity in music i love atmosphere i love texture in music i love trying to invoke feelings not always positive ones you know sometimes <laughs> you know if feelings like regret and loss um and melancholia which i think are all things that i was attracted to in music and still am mm. attracted to in, in music things that make us understand that we're all part of the same species that we all have this kind of shared experience Uh, human experience and that's a beautiful thing and of course that's fundamental to the whole idea of art is expressing um you know a, a shared human condition sometimes people forget that you know music becomes this this kind of uh, utilitarian thing that technical exercise and of course the, most of the great music in my opinion was more about capturing a feeling ca capturing an emotion in 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 the form of a piece of music Well, let's dive into a couple of those kind of thematic elements then, because, well, it, you mentioned earlier on kind of the the state of of some 
popular music and and in time is running out there is a line it's just rock and roll with no quality control so is that kind of where that line came from yeah i mean that that song is probably the most you know autobiographical on the album in the sense it's me well quite literally acknowledging to myself that time is running out you know i find myself mm. very obviously and very clearly in the second half of my life and life being this incredibly short period of time really when it comes down to it, we have an incredibly short period of time uh you know on this earth to make sense of the gift of life mm. and i think your your perceptions about what you want what you need change over time and a lot of the album is really about this idea of acknowledging to oneself that it's not sometimes about the the arriving it's about the traveling it's it's not about the destination it's about the journey and i think that's a good analogy for life in general that a lot of a lot of what's really special to me about my life are things that i maybe didn't plan didn't intend to happen and all the things that i wanted to happen now kind of fall away and don't seem so important but specifically to pick up on the line you've mentioned yeah i mean there's a sense i think that we live in an age now where it's easier than ever before to make music. You don't need to go into a studio. You don't need to have money. Anyone with a laptop can download some software for free and start making music essentially at the same level yeah. as any multimillionaire rock star can. You know, there's nothing to stop you from, from creating music that's sonically as elaborate as anything out there. And what, what that's meant is obviously a massive proliferation and explosion in music. I mean, Spotify say they have like 120,000 songs added every day. That is mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And, of course, most of it is just noise. It's just people that make music and think that it's good enough to share with the rest of the world when really most of it isn't <laughs> truth be told, you know? Um, but that's a natural, that's, I think that's a natural human impulse is to when you create something is to want to see yourself reflected back in the mirror by mm. sharing it with other people and have other people comment on what you've done. Uh, and of course the internet, you know, provides the perfect, platform and forum for that kind of proliferation right. so yes that that comment kind of refers to that that phenomenon i suppose yeah what you mentioned about how we perceive dreams and then kind of we we have expectations about how reality will turn out and then inevit inevitably it won't go exactly the way it goes in our mind is that where a line like uh, uh did i dream you or are you dreaming me from uh comes from then as well that this kind of uh yeah notion that our uncertainty is, is kind of the word that pops into my head when i when i hear that the uncertainty of where you are in life and, and what's going to happen in a, in a way is it is that any in, at all fair kind of uh, a fair assessment very much and and you know I, the word i would use is probably ambiguity you know mm. rather than uncertainty so that there are many different ways to look at the world, to look at, to look at ourselves and perception, you know, it, it's, it's more clear now than ever before. I think when you go on the internet, that there isn't simply one reality sure. that there are so many versions of the quote unquote truth. And there are so many versions of a fact and almost to the point that I don't, it, it's almost like, um, 
I don't get it. It seems like counterintuitive. It's like um, what, what's what's the expression? Cognitive dissonance. When right. you know, how how can someone actually believe that? I believe this, and I think there's so much of that now because of the internet. And what? But then I I I also have to acknowledge to myself that one of the things I've always liked in in art, and I'm thinking not just only in music here, but certainly in movies and literature too is ambiguity is when the person reading or watching or listening has to kind of interpret what they're experiencing mm. and that it's not all explained to you and you know and i think of great movie makers like david lynch um and, and stanley kubrick or, or more modern movie ma makers like christopher nolan yeah. and there's a lot in their movies that is not clear how you're supposed to how you're supposed to understand and interpret what's on the screen. And I like that. I like that about music too. So, I mean, I've lost count of the amount of times that people have come up to me and said, Oh, you know, I love your song, this song. I love this song. It's about this, isn't it? And I'm like, well, no, it's not, but that doesn't mean that your interpretation of it mm. is any less valid. So to come back to your point, this idea of who's dreaming, who, I find I find that's a fascinating kind of metaphor for the way that we sometimes experience art. Is the is the listener the one who kind of interprets it, or is the artist's interpretation the valid one? Of course, the answer is they're both as valid as each other. Yeah, I think the that's the beauty of music that there is so much, uh, so many different things that people can find in it. But that's a, that's an interesting question to ask yourself then, because have you you've been a creator of music for the past 30 to 40 years or if not more and from uh, from an audience perspective then do, do you still get to enjoy that or or do you do you kind of immediately analyze music once you hear it and you kind of hear the nuances and the technical things that's a good question i i think the answer to that is i find myself listening as i've got older and i've and i've got further into my career i found myself listening much more to music that is less related to mine i won't say completely unrelated because of course i i still take a lot of inspiration from from the music that right. i listen to but you know for example everyone thinks i'm i probably sit here all day listening to progressive rock <laughs> I, I don't think I've listened to progressive rock for 20, 20 years, unless okay. I've been working, unless I've been working on a, a remix of a, you know, of a King Crimson album or something. I just don't listen to that kind of music. I mean, I listened to it a lot when I was a kid. And of course it's a big part of my musical DNA, but I, I don't have a great interest in listening to it. Now. So I would listen to a lot more electronic music, a lot more jazz music, a lot of free jazz, a lot of experimental, noisy, industrial music. Yeah. And I'm not, again, I'm not saying that doesn't creep into my music because it does, but it's less obvious. It's less obviously connected with what I do inside my own music. So in that sense, I still find a lot to enjoy in listening to other music. But if somebody comes up to me, and this has happened, this happens quite often, and this has happened recently. If someone comes up to me, hands me their CD and says, Stephen, please, can you listen to my album? You, I think you're really going to like it. It sounds really similar to your album or Porcupine Tree. And I'm like, well, don't give it to me then. I've got no interest. Why would I want to listen to something that's like a bad copy of what I do? <laughs> <laughs> or words to that effect. 
because it's not going to be better than my album, is it now? So, um, <laughs> plus you're, I, you're sick of hearing probably when making albums, you, you hear those songs so many times that you, you kind of want a, a palate cleanser afterwards, I suppose. Well, I, cer I certainly don't want to hear something that sounds like it's anywhere near in the same ballpark mm. as my record. I would shy away from that. And I, to be honest, I don't know what that would be anyway now. A, a record like the Harmony Co is there anyone else making records like that? I don't know. Maybe. Um, I mean, I still I still love my, you know, I love, still love my Kate Bush records. I love Peter Gabriel records. You know, I love my Bowie records. I'll still listen to those. But I think the thing is with all those artists is that, they all created their own musical universe and they, they don't seem generic in any way. And I like to think in my own little way, without comparing myself to those great artists, um, in my own little way, I've carved out my own little musical universe similarly, which doesn't really relate to anyone else's. It just is. You just know when you hear it that it's a Stephen Wilson record. This is maybe a little bit of a repetitive question with the first thing that I asked them, but uh... Why do you think, uh, what allowed you to create this universe, you think? What what allowed you to get to the point where, where you have your own universe? Because it, 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 when you say it, it sounds very easy or very simple. But a lot of big artists, and they, they fail to kind of really carve out their own musical universe, I should put it. So what allowed you to do so, do you think? Is it just experience? Is it a, a kind of not worrying yeah. about what other people think anymore what, what is it there's definitely an element of arrogance involved <laughs> <laughs> let me explain what i mean by that i think i don't think arrogance necessarily is a, is a bad thing in this context i think having the arrogance maybe arrogance is the wrong word but you know what i mean having the mm. the confidence conf maybe yeah having the confidence to not care what the expectations from particularly from your own listeners is um and i think i've constantly confronted expectations of my listeners it's become almost like a mantra in my career and i talk about this almost with every album i make but that's important it's so important to me and so fundamental to me that i think i've got to the point now where my listeners i won't call them fans because i find that slightly patronizing but list my listeners almost expect every album to be different now mm. and they almost expect me to change and that's something that i think you have to earn and you earn that over a period of records and you also have to understand that in doing that you will disappoint people and you will um inevitably lose some fans who don't want to go with you on the on the, the place that you want to go the journey that you want to go on and so there is a certain arrogance. Of, I mean, I hear it. I hear it in Bowie. I hear it in Kate Bush. I hear it in Mark Hollis. Mm. I hear it in Frank Zappa. I hear it in Neil Young. Almost like this willful arrogance or, or confidence to not care what people expect of you. And that's a very hard thing to attain because most people are sensitive and most sure. people are sensitive to criticism and most people are sensitive to being told um, that what they're doing is not what people want. So it takes an incredible ego <laughs> in a way. And I do have a big ego. I mean, it takes a big <laughs> ego to be able to shut that out and just do what you want to do that's going to interest you and excite you. And sometimes that happens to 
um, intersect with what people want. And I've had it a few times and I feel like this record might be one of those records because people really seem to be enjoying it. It might be one of those records that's exactly the way I want it to be, but it also seems to be something that the the listeners are, are it's resonating very well with the listeners too. Yeah, from what I've heard from the album, I've listened to uh, through the album about twice now and I think I, I can put it on another 10 more times and I can discover new things in it uh, still. So that's, uh, I'm looking forward to, to that. Um, I don't know if we have time, but I have a, one last question if that's okay. Sure. Uh, in terms of uh, creating this world now, what do you hope people, because we talked about how people interpret music, uh, not really having expectation, but what do you hope people take away from, from the album, listening it, uh, listening to it from beginning to end? Is there anything you want, or maybe not want, but is there anything you hope they take away? I mean, I, you know, I, I kind of think of myself as... Um, an alternative artist. And what I mean by that is, you know, that the, the word alternative is quite often used in, in the music world. And it's for a lot of people, alternative usually suggests things like Nirvana or the cure. And to which I reply, what could, you know, there could be nothing further away from, from alternative when you come, when it comes to Nirvana, one of the biggest, most successful bands in the universe. <laughs> How is that alternative? I think for me, alternative is providing the other side of whatever is in the mainstream or what is kind of the zeitgeist. And the zeitgeist right now is not something that appeals to me very much. The zeitgeist right now is very um, uh, finely tuned, computer-based pop, which is all about the lead vocal, really. You don't hear... You don't really hear musicianship on most modern pop records mm. and you don't even hear things like intros anymore. The vocal is in right away. The vocals in from the very first bar, because God forbid that somebody would lose interest during a 15 second intro. So we've lost things like intro. We, you'll never hear a solo on a, when was the last time you heard a guitar solo or any solo on a, on a modern pop record. And I, you know, and I grew up loving records where things like beautifully constructed solos or beautifully constructed intros and the sequencing and the flow of an album was really important. That idea of, right. you know, creating something analogous with a, with a great movie, you know, scenes, scenes where different things happen and sometimes very little happens and sometimes the characters are happy and sometimes something tragic happens and then the characters are angry and then they're sad and there's this constant flow of emotions and change of scenery and i miss albums that have that that kind of flow to them and i guess you know again for again for want of a better word i call that conceptual conceptual music conceptual rock music and so to me in 2023, that seems to me to be the absolute uh, definition of alternative music. Right. Because it's the complete opposite of what most modern pop music is moving towards. So and I know there's a lot of people out there that still want that. And I know there's a lot of people out there that still want that because I, I do OK. You know, I've managed to make <laughs> a living doing this. So I know there are people out there that still do still yearn for something they can engage with uh, over a longer period of time and on a deeper level. I couldn't agree more. Uh, Stephen, may I thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me? 
Pleasure. Been nice speaking to you too, Robbie.